Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this pleased the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went out through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and staying there a while, and stayed there a while. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. Having secured the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robes, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, This is the voice of a god, not of a man. Immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of the Lord continued to increase and spread. When Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Some of you uh, may be familiar with a name, a name of a guy named Pastor Saeed. He's been in the news a little bit. Pastor Saeed is an Iranian Christian pastor. Uh, He came to faith in Iran uh, around the year 2000 and immediately got involved in starting churches in Iran, 
for over about five years, he was instrumental in uh, starting about 100 different uh, illegal underground house churches uh, in over 30 cities in Iran. And the government at that time kind of turned a blind eye to it. But when Ahmadinejad came to power in 2005, the government decided to crack down on the, the underground house churches. And so Pastor Saeed, who was married to uh, an Iranian-American woman, he fled to the States. Um, and so this is where he's been, but he's made trips back to visit his family in Iran, and, and sometimes he gets harassed or whatever. But, but in 2012, in September, he went back, and he was arrested and detained, and they placed him in Evan Prison, which is a sort of a notoriously brutal prison in Iran where there's you know, torture and abuse are just very common. So uh, his name kind of came to international prominence, and people found out about this, and it was just one of those ones where somebody name was sort of known, and there was an outcry to have him released, but so far it hasn't happened. In um, January 27, 2013, he uh, was sentenced to eight years in prison there, which is a really, you know, it's not like prisons here. Uh, it's rough. And uh, so I guess, what, just a couple days ago, he probably finished his second year in prison there in Iran. And, uh, you know, the, the cry keeps going out. Uh, pr- political pressure is being sought to be applied to the nation there to let him go. I think just this last week I saw on the news that uh, his wife and kids got to meet with President Obama and to try to say, hey, what can you do to get Pastor Saeed out of prison? I mean, all, all he did, he didn't commit murder or bank robbery or espionage. I mean, he just was starting churches and preaching the gospel. And it's, it's shocking. It's hard for us as Americans who enjoy freedom to understand it. Um, but you know, there's hope. There's hope. And our hope is simply that God rules the nations. Our God is King of kings and Lord of lords, and all of the nations are under His feet. God is sovereign over every king. God is sovereign over every president and prime minister. He rules over every strong man and despot and dictator and mullah. They're all under God's authority and sovereign power and control. And so we have hope. Um, We have hope for all kinds of Christians around the world who are in suffering. You know, for every Pastor Saeed that we hear about, there's hundreds and thousands we don't know about. We don't know their names, but they are in difficult circumstances that they are losing civil liberties, they are in prisons, sometimes even martyred in difficult places. Sometimes it's in China, North Korea, Burma, Pakistan, very difficult place to be a a Christian publicly, a lot of cost involved there. Where, Where the government itself brings pressure against the gospel and against God's people. And this is nothing new. This has been happening down through the centuries, down through Christian history. There have been these episodes where where government power has been brought to bear against the people of God. Um, But the thing is, God is sovereign, and nothing stops the gospel. It just keeps spreading. It was the uh, Protestant reformer, French reformer, uh, Theodore Biza, uh, who was once talking to the French, French king, and the French king was sort of contemplating persecution against the church and stepping up pressure, and, and Biza warned him. He said, the church is an anvil that has worn out many hammers. But that's not because the church is anything. It's because God is everything. And God's power causes His gospel and His purposes to prevail. Well, anyway, here in Acts chapter 12, we have a snapshot of that. 
This is like one photo in the photo album called God Overrules the Nations. And, and here's a story of how that happened. And uh, so we look at this story. It took place in the, somewhere in the four, early 40s A.D. And it was with a king named Herod. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, including intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So maybe you've heard the name Herod before. If you've maybe read some, the Christmas story, there's this king named Herod who tries to find baby Jesus and have him done away with, you know, that Herod. That's not this Herod. This Herod is the grandson of that Herod. So he's part of the, the Herodian family dynasty. And this Herod, uh, Herod named Agrippa, uh, Herod Agrippa was kind of a black sheep of the family, didn't really get along with the other Herods, and uh, he had a lot of debts and was kind of being chased around because of his debt. Anyway, he, you know, he's sort of this uh, you know, uh, troublesome character. But eventually he ends up in Rome and he makes a friend, this guy named Caligula. And Caligula became emperor in 38 AD, and finally Herod had made the right friend. And so Caligula made Herod the, the king of the northern part of the promised Lord called the Holy Land. And then when Caligula died, he was replaced by another emperor named Claudius, who also happened to be a personal friend of Agrippa. And so Claudius gave Agrippa even more power. So, so in 40, from 41 to 44 AD, uh, Herod Agrippa ruled the entirety of what we would call like the land of Israel and even beyond that. Um, and this was a problem for the church. because The church had kind of weathered some storms, but now Herod came in and he had a, a hostile posture toward the church. So it was a season of persecution that came upon the church again. And you can see there in verses 1 and 2, he captured James um, and had him killed. Now, you may know James. Um, there's the 12 apostles, right? And then among the 12 apostles, there was like these three apostles who were the special, you know, inner circle with Jesus. And Jesus would sometimes just take these three guys and their names were what? Peter, James, and John. So that's this James. So this is the first apostle to be martyred. Um, So James is put to death. And uh, it seems like it's kind of like a decapitation strike. You know, we're going to take the head off the church. Let's go after, who are the leaders of the church? All right, James, done. Who's next? Peter. We're going to stop this by getting the leaders. And so Peter is arrested as well, and he's held in prison, and it's the Passover feast, and once Passover is done, they're intending to do a public trial. This looks bad. This looks really grim. This is not good. Things are going south quickly. But what does the church do? Verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was what? Earnestly praying to God for him. This is, needs to be our first and primary response to persecution or any other difficulty we have as Christians. We need to earnestly pray. Christians should be people of prayer. This needs to be our first reaction. We need to pray about things. And we pray not just because it makes us feel better. You know, sometimes people say that, like, well, if you pray about it, you'll feel better. And it's great to feel better. But that's not the main reason we pray is to feel better, you know, and, and praying is not sending out energy. You know, people do that. Like, hey, I'm sending out positive energy to you. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you can't send out positive energy. You know, what do you think you are, a Jedi? Like, we can't do that. That's not a real thing. <laughs> That's just a weird thing people say. But prayer is real because God is real. 
And prayer is talking to God. And God can do things. You don't have energy to do anything, but God has the power to do anything. And so in prayer, we, 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 go, we have hope in prayer because we know that God can change things. And we're talking to the Lord. And so we need to go to Him first when there's, when there's difficulty. We need to pray for people who are in, persecuted and suffering. Um, like we need to pray for Pastor Saeed. You know, now, now that we know, we need to add him into our prayers. Uh, you know, if, if you in your own prayer life wanted to pray more for Christians around the world who are persecuted, just an, a resource, I was uh, you know, online looking at this. There's a website called Open Doors USA. So if you just Google Open Doors USA, it's basically a website that kind of keeps up to date on persecution in the world for the church and, and other religious minorities. But uh, they actually have a PDF on their front homepage you can download. It's a monthly prayer calendar. And so every day of the week, you know, you can be like, all right, what am I pray for today? Right, I'll pray, and you read the day of the week, and it'll tell you sort of like real-time updated situations that are happening in the world. So we can kind of pray for Christians who are struggling. But, but, but you know, we, we don't just pray for that. We, we pray for all kinds of things because God is sovereign over the nations, and God is sovereign over diseases, and God is sovereign over finances, and God is sovereign over wayward children, and God is sovereign over our spouses and our friends and our situations. He's sovereign over everything. And so our, our first response needs to be to, to pray and to seek the Lord in these things. And that's a reminder to myself. You know, I'm, I'm one of these type A people who, like, you, you know, you give me a problem, and it's like, well, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix that thing, you know? Just tell me what the problem is. I'll come up with a plan, do some research online, talk to some friends, bump, 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 take care of it. And if it doesn't work, well, I got plan B, then plan C. And if that all fails, well, maybe I'll pray. Because you've got to have your parachute when the plane's going down. And, you know, it, sometimes I think God just waits for my, like, A, B, C, and D to fail. And he's like, are you ready yet? Okay, I've been waiting. Okay, now you're ready to pray? Fine. And I need to pray first. Prayer is A. Than other things after that. But we need to seek the Lord because He's God and He has all the power and He invites us to come. And so the church prays and the church prays, and wow, this is one of those amazing stories where God delivers, right? Where God did a miraculous intervention. It's really incredible. Um, I love this story. There's Peter sleeping in the jail cell and he's got like two chains and two guards and guards and gates, and he's like, you know, he's in maximum security. They not want Peter escaping. And suddenly the angel appears and, you know, smacks him. Hey, get up. You know, get your clothes on. Get up. And the chains fall off. Oh, okay. And, you know, and they, they, they start walking out and the doors start opening. And it's so weird that Peter can't even believe it's real. He thinks he's having a, a vision. He doesn't even believe this is happening to him. And, you know, and then he finally gets out and the angel disappears. And he's like, whoa, that just happened. I can't believe it. I don't know, when, when I think of this story, th- this is a problem I have, you can pray for me, but I've seen too many movies, so I always think of these things as movies, which is probably not good, but you know, I, I think of like the sci-fi movies I've seen or the superhero movies where somebody has the, the stop time power, you know, and they go like, you know, and everyone's like, right? And then, you know, there's one guy who, who can move around, you know, and he's like walking around doing things, and that's how I kind of envisioned it, like, you know, the angel's like, you know, and all the guards are you know, frozen, and Peter's like, <laughs> you know, it must be a vision, right? 
and he, and he gets outside, and the angel goes away, and all of a sudden, he realizes, that just happened. God has done something amazing, because God can do anything. Like, that's, like, you were like, how could that happen? Well, if God is real, this story is completely plausible, because God made the laws of nature. God can suspend the laws of nature. God can do anything. You know, I, I love imagining superheroes and superhero movies. I'm kind of a fanboy that way. I love that stuff. But the great thing about God is he's, God is a real superhero. God really can do anything. He's like, you know, Green Lantern Plus. He can just make anything happen. He's, he's the su- he is the superpower. And God alone rules all things. And he can do miraculous things when he so chooses. And then Peter is suddenly outside. And verse 11 is the key verse. That's the money, the money verse right there. Where Peter says, now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating, especially the, the Jewish leaders in particular. So he says, look, God did it. That, that's the, the point of the whole passage. Oftentimes when you're studying um, a story in the Bible, you, know, you just have this story and all these things are happening, but there will sometimes be a line that someone delivers or a line the narrator delivers, and that one sentence will actually be the interpretive explanation of the whole story. It doesn't always happen, but sometimes you get that. And when you see that in a biblical story, you need to like grab onto it. So this is, I think verse 11 is one of those lines that actually is the interpretive explanation of the whole event. What are we supposed to get out of this story? God has rescued me from Herod's clutches. God has overruled. God is in charge. And God saved and then we go from the uh, superhero movie, and then the next verse is you're into a comedy. This verse is cracking me up. You know, he's like, wow, we go to the prayer meeting, and he's like knocking on the door, and there's all the people in their prayer meeting. They're like, oh, Lord, help Peter if it's your will. And they got like the free Peter t-shirts on, and <laughs> they're holding hands, and they have candles, and you know, little ribbons with Peter's face on a button, you know, and they're like, oh, like... You know, and it's like, knock, knock, knock. And they're like, this is a really intense prayer moment, Rhoda. Could you get that? And so she's like, oh, you know, and it's Peter. And, and I love it. She's like, wow, it's Peter. And she totally doesn't open the door. I love that. And she comes back, it's Peter. You're crazy. No, it's Peter. And, and then they get into this big theology thing, like, maybe it's his guardian angel. Maybe. It's like, just go open the door. You know, the, the whole time, you know, they're having this big thing. Like, Peter's outside just like please, somebody, he can get out of jail, but he, he can't get into the prayer meeting. <laughs> I love it. Cracks me up. So finally they let him in, and they're all astonished. Whoa, you're here. I can't believe it. Have if, if you ever prayed for something, and then God actually just answered it directly? It, it, it's weird, and it happens. I, mean, I don't know why I feel like it's weird, but it is. It, oh, he did that. You know, I mean, sometimes God, you pray for something and God says no. You don't know why he says no. And sometimes a year later you get to see why he said no. But you don't always see that at first, right? James wasn't rescued. James glorified God with his death. Uh, Peter's going to glorify God with his rescue. So sometimes God says no. A lot of times God says wait. Keep praying, keep praying. And he's building patience and persistence in us. But there are other times you pray you know, you're like, God, I, I really need money. God, I really need a, this, this job. God, I really need 
help. I need healing, God. Or, Lord, you know, I really would love to serve you today and, and share the gospel with someone this week. And like 10 minutes later, phone call, and you're on the phone, and someone, you're talking to someone about the gospel. I mean, those things happen. And, and when they do, it, I don't know why I'm always surprised. Like, whoa, oh, God, you, oh, you actually did that. Oh, huh, I didn't think, well, I guess you do. You know, would you like to see God say yes more? Would you like to experience that more? I'll tell you how you can experience God saying yes more. You just need to pray more prayers. <laughs> I think... We don't experience it that much because, frankly, we just don't pray very much. You know, we have not because we ask not. And if, if I was, really preaching to myself here, you can listen in. If I was praying more, I probably would see more yeses as well as noes and waits. I would just be experiencing more of God's work in my life. But so often the problem isn't that God says no or wait. The problem is just we don't pray. That's the real issue. We're not asking and, and letting him do what he will. And so here the church prays and God answers, and it's amazing. And then, of course, the next morning, not so funny for the guards. They get interrogated and they're executed because under Roman law, if you, you let a prisoner go, it's your life for the prisoner's life. And so, it, it's, you know, Peter was supposed to die. Now the guards die. Irony. But what's the point of the story? What's the point of the story? It's that God rescued Peter from Herod's clutches. Nothing can stop the gospel. Nothing can stop God's purposes. God is sovereign and in charge. And when we step back from this, this photo, this snapshot, and we look at the, the, the broader photo album of God's saving hand, we realize the Bible is full of these stories. They're all over the Bible, stories where um, oppressive worldly powers and governments and rulers seek to harm God's people, seek to uh, oppose the, the work of God and the word of God and to snuff out God's people. And, and again and again, God says no, and he overrules. And you see it throughout the Bible. You see it in the book of Exodus, right, where Pharaoh is this power, and, uh, and he decides he's going to end the Israelites. And so he commands that all the, the Israelite boys be thrown into the river. Terrible. And so they, they said, okay, we'll put him in the river. We'll put Moses in a basket in the river. And ba- Moses gets floated, and who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter. And so Moses grows up as a prince of Egypt. Like, that's so great. That's what God does. And then later on, of course, Moses comes back to Pharaoh, and he demands a prison break. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, and they go back and forth. And so God just hammers Pharaoh with all these miracles until finally the prison door is thrown open, the Red Sea is parted, and the Israelites walk through on dry ground, and the soldiers are killed as the waves come crashing over. Or fast forward in Israel's history to when Israel was in the Promised Land, there was an episode when uh, Sennacherib was the king of Assyria, a great evil superpower at the time, the Assyrians, and Hezekiah was king of Jerusalem, and Isaiah was the prophet, and Sennacherib's armies surrounded Jerusalem to devour it. And Hezekiah and Isaiah and the others, they prayed and they cried out to God, and God wiped out the Assyrians, and God delivered them. Or or think about later when the Babylonians were in power, and, and there was King Nebuchadnezzar, the super king of a super empire, and he 
He makes a golden statue, and he says, you're going to bow down to this statue. Probably the statue is of himself, you know, bow down to this. Uh, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we're not bowing down. So he's like, well, fine, you're going to go into prison. That also happens to be a furnace, and you're going in. And they're fine. <laughs> and again, and, and God rescues these guys. And there's a fourth guy in the furnace. Who's that? He looks like a son of the gods. I wonder who that is. So they get him out, and these guys are fine. Or Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den because he refuses to pray to the king. He refuses to worship the earthly king as if the earthly king was a god. And he's going to pray only to God. And so he's thrown in the lion's den. The, the stone is rolled over the entrance. And Daniel, then they roll the stone off the next day, and he's alive. God rescues him from the lion's den. And the people who are trying to harm him are thrown in and killed. Or, or just one more. What about under the Persian Empire that followed the, the Babylon Empire where, where there was this guy, second in command of the whole Persian Empire. His name was Haman. And Haman plotted the genocide of the Jewish people that was going to wipe them all out. And so the people of the Jews, they fasted and prayed and Queen Esther risked her life. And she went in and God turned the tables and Haman was killed and the Jewish people were saved. And, and so Jewish uh, people celebrate that today in the festival of Purim. And so down through the centuries, God always does this. Evil, antichrist, world government powers seek to harm the people of God. The spirit of the antichrist at work in the world today, trying to harm God's people and snuff out God's purposes, and God overrules again and again. Actually, there's one more story. We gotta, can't forget this one. This is the, this is the big one. It's the granddaddy of all jailbreaks. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our whole faith is founded on a jailbreak. The world powers did the worst that they could do to him. In fact, I I actually think that the way Peter's story is told is an intentional echo of the resurrection. You know, that you see these elements are the same. It's Passover, right? Just like when Jesus was arrested, it was Passover. And, and the world powers did everything they could to him. Jesus was arrested, tried, convicted, tortured, crucified, killed, buried. The stone was rolled over. He was placed in the ultimate prison. Everything that the world could do to a man was done to Jesus Christ. And he was dead. And they rolled the stone over it. But just as that angel came and let Peter out, so years earlier, the angel came and it rolled the stone away. And Jesus rose. And so he, he's alive and he conquered everything. It's like, we're going to throw everything at you. And he still rises. And so Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered Satan. He conquered everything. You know, we sing these songs today about the victor's crown. This is huge. Jesus is the superhero. He is the victor whom we worship and serve. And at the center of our faith is this amazing escape and victory. And you even have the woman coming from the tomb saying, we saw Jesus alive. And everyone's going like, ah, you're crazy. He was like Rhoda. Rhoda's like Mary, anyway. It's an echo. We see that God is still rescuing his people. We could even take it a step further, don't you think? That every time somebody comes to faith in Jesus Christ, every time somebody is truly converted from unbelief to belief, every time the lost is found, you could perceive it as a kind of jailbreak that takes place. 
Because before Jesus, we're trapped in our sins, we're trapped in ourselves. I mean, we think we're free and doing what we want, but we're really trapped in sin. And every time someone comes to Christ, God's light and power reaches that person, and and they're freed from that. There's a a resurrection that takes place. That that power is still at work. Every time the gospel is preached and people are saved. Check this out. Put a bookmark here in Acts and turn over a few pages to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It's on page 1156. Ephesians chapter 2 gives a, a... a very uh, vivid description of what this prison is like, the prison of our sin in which every person finds themselves. Page 1156, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. So Paul is describing here what our status is without Jesus. He says, as for you, and when he says you, he means you and me. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. Ah, I don't need that. I'm all set. Yeah, you're dead. Dead in transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. You, you know, when, when you're just going along with the flow of the world, you're, you're dead in your sins. It's, it's just the ways of the world. And you're under the, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan is ruling over this world to a degree, and when we just go along with the world, you're part of his kingdom. You know, sometimes we, we hear like Satan, and we think like, you know, people who dress in black and wear pentagrams and, you know, Marilyn Manson and people like that, and we're like, oh, you know, those are the people who follow Satan, right? Look, to follow Satan, all you have to do is go with the flow. Just go with the flow. Whatever the world's doing, hop on board, guess, guess whose train you're on. You don't even have to wear black lipstick. <laughs> you just have to do what the world's doing. You just have to believe whatever's being pumped out on TV. You just have to think whatever all the other kids in school think. And you're in the way of the world. You're going with the flow. And Satan's happy. He doesn't need you to, you know, dress in dark clothes and put on black mascara. You can just be worldly. But it's not only that, it's also the slavery of our own sinful desires. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. I just do what I want, whatever I want. If I want to buy it, I buy it. If, if I want to drink it or eat it, I do it. I, if, I want to, if I want to sleep with the person, I sleep with them. I, I do what I want. It's my life. It's my thing. It's my gig. And that's sin. That's the heart of it right there. We're trapped in that. We're enslaved in it. But verse 4, because of his great love for us, God's jailbreaks are an act of love and mercy. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. So so becoming a Christian is an experience of resurrection power where we're set free from our sins and we're no longer dominated by our evil desires. We no longer serve the ways of the world. We're now in the kingdom of God. And and there's a sense of, of freedom and deliverance that happens. Some of you were here last Sunday night. Last Sunday night we had our baptism service, which we have a couple times a year, and there were 30 people uh, who gave their stories of how they came to faith in Christ. Some of them were baptized. It was really awesome. I loved the, the baptism service. And, uh, and every, every time we have one, it strikes me that, that at one level, there's all these different stories of all these different people from all these different walks of life coming to meet Jesus in a hundred different ways. But at a deeper level, it's just the same story over and over and over. 
It's sinners meeting the Savior. Sinners forgiven, set free, given a new life. The prisoner gets out. It's the same story, even though it's a hundred different stories. It reminds me of the, the hymn by Charles Wesley, Amazing Love, or And Can It Be. Um, look at it. Check it out. Check out a red hymnal. Turn to hymn number 347. One of the great old hymns. Great hymn. Hymn number 347. And look at the third line. So, so this is the third line. Uh, Wesley is describing the experience of what it's like to become a Christian. And he uses the language from Acts 12. He says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. And when Christians read that, they're like, yeah, yeah, man, I know what that means. I know what this is talking about. That's why people sing this song. Let's just sing it. What do you guys say? I'm feeling kind of frisky, Dale. Sing, sing the third one. Ready? Okay. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, And so that's every Christian story in some way or another. We experience that. This resurrection power is still at work. And so, you know, that means like whatever is happening politically, I think sometimes we as Christians get all wrapped around the axle about politics. Oh, who's, you know, in charge now and what's the next election? And, you know, and that's... That's important. We need to be concerned. We need to be engaged. Christians need to be engaged in politics. But we've got to be careful that in our hearts we don't get all into a state of panic, freaking out, anxiety, victim. Because God is sovereign. And regardless of whether the political climate is like sunny weather for Christianity or whether it's, you know, bad for Christianity, whether the barometric political pressure is dropping for the gospel, so to speak, we, we have to just be straight up with the gospel. Because the thing is, it's the gospel that sets people free. Like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so, you know, in in some ways, the harder it gets, the more bold and direct we need to be in letting people know the great news that there's a Savior who is sent to save sinners like us, and that he died and rose again. We need to tell that message and let people know that God loves sinners, and he, he accepts those who come to him and repent. And we need to keep telling that message. Because the thing is, there's no political power that can stop the jailbreak from happening. It's supernatural. 
It's above and beyond. It's, it's not just you and me trying to persuade people. It's a divine power that sets people free. There's nothing the government can do to stop people from being born again. There's nothing can be done. Because God is king. So let's be bold. Let's, let's ramp up our boldness. Let's, let's say a little bit more than we normally would say. Let's keep talking about Christ when we have opportunities to do so. But then there's a little bit more to the story. So go back to Acts. God's power over the kings was not only shown by letting Peter free, but then you got this kind of sobering ending to the story, right? Where God shows his power also by putting down the king. The angel strikes Peter and says, wake up. And then the angel strikes Herod and says, you're going down. And so here's Herod a little bit later. He's now having some audience with some people and there's some political stuff that was going on. And finally he's making peace and they're kind of getting together and patching it up, these different political groups. And so to do this, he has a a big day. He, He gives a big speech, right? Verse 21, on the appointed day, back in Acts 12, on the appointed day, Herod, uh, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. And they shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. And he was eaten by worms and died. It's interesting uh, to read the, uh, this, the account of this event in the Jewish historian Josephus. He also records this event. And uh, we know that Herod died in 44 AD in the spring. He was in Caesarea, uh, and according to Josephus' account, he was in the amphitheater at Caesarea, and he was sitting on a, a throne there, and he was giving his speech, and, and according to Josephus, he had this robe on at that event where it was like, uh, had a lot of silver embroidery, so as he stood there in the amphitheater in the sunlight, the sun was just shining off of his silver robe. He, you know, he looked like a god. The shining being speaking. And, and these people, of course, are wanting to suck up to him and everything. And so they're all like, oh, it's a god, right? And, and as Josephus tells the story, at that amphitheater, he suddenly came ill and five days later died. Uh, and so we have the same story here in Acts, except what Acts tells us is why it happened. And it happened because he, he tried to usurp the glory of God. That's why it happened. You know, at that moment where everyone's like, it's a God, it's a God. And, you know, he should have been like, whoa, 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 time out. Let's not get ridiculous. But instead, in that moment, he just went, ah, yeah, that's right. I am like a God. And God just said, you know what? I've had enough of this. Time's up. And that was it for him. And God brought judgment. And so God can bring rulers down. He can raise people up. He can do whatever. He's the king. And uh, we, we have to be careful of this. Because the thing is, even though we're not kings, and even though we don't go around in silver shiny outfits, you know, with sequins or whatever, um, we, we have the same attitude of thinking that we're gods. Like, we, we think, hey, it's my life. I can do what I want. No one can tell me what to do. It's what I want, and it's my thing. You know, that's the same attitude, that usurper attitude that, that refuses the glory of God and would take glory for ourselves. And just as God is still setting people free from prison today through faith in Jesus, God is still bringing down Herods today. You know, 
Every day people are dying. And people are dying who refuse to bow the knee to God. People are dying robed, you know, arrayed in their robes of self-righteousness. I'm a good person. I mean, just in the snowstorm that happened, I went and helped shovel out two of my neighbors. I mean, you know, look at... I'm, I'm so religious. I'm, I'm so good. I know I'm a decent person. And, you know, no, we are sinners in need of a Savior. We need the Lord. And so judgment comes every day. People are dying where God is saying to individuals, time's up. It's over. It's sobering. (laughs) But we don't have forever. Man is destined once to die and then to judgment. We don't get multiple lives to straighten it out. We get this life. We get the gospel. We need to turn to the Lord. But here's the good news. Nothing can stop God's word. Nothing can stop. Verse 24 is kind of the the little period at the whole end of the thing. But the word of God continued to increase and spread. All this drama is happening. You know, Herod's doing this, and then Peter gets out, and James gets killed, and Herod dies, and, you know, all this stuff's happening. But underneath it all, that's the bottom line. God's word is continuing to spread because nothing can stop the purposes of God. And it has continued to spread, and it is continuing to spread. And despite even Pastor Saeed being in prison, his word is spreading in Iran. People are coming to know that Jesus is the Savior of the world, even in Iran, everywhere. And that word will continue to spread. In fact, Jesus himself said, this gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all peoples as a testimony to all nations. And then, once that's happened, what? The end will come. And Jesus will come back. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we just humble ourselves before you as king. And we thank you that you're king. Lord, we make really lousy kings and queens. And Lord, there's no one in this world who rules us satisfactorily. But we thank you, Jesus, that you're the king of kings and you're the kind of king who would die to save his people. Oh God, you're the king we've always wanted. Lord, save us from our own self-rule. Save us from uh, death and hell. God, save us from our sins and give us a heart that would just seek you and honor you. God, I pray that we would be fervent in prayer, make us a church of greater prayer, make us a church of greater boldness to tell others about you. Lord, help us not to be afraid of, of the climate, the politics in the nation, the politics at the work, the politics at school. Help us just to tell the truth, and whether we escape or whether we suffer, Lord, may we just be delighted that the word is spreading. God, we, we pray. I pray for anyone here who, who maybe is still in the prison and they don't even know they're in the prison. They think they're free, but they're really not. God, I just pray that they would see Jesus and that they would see that Jesus died to set people free, and their hearts would just be open to him. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you are hunting people down, that that we don't bang on the prison gates, Lord, but you come into the cell and wake us up, and you haul us out. Oh, Lord, I just pray that you would do that work, come into our lives, find us, O great hound of heaven, and draw us to the Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.